I have a reflection to share, which is more or less the story for the adults. It is written by Rayla Matson, who serves as the Director of Religious Education at the Unitarian Society of Hartford, Connecticut. And she writes, my youngest child, who is autistic, has taught me so much. And yet there are times, like our morning bus routine, when her autism causes me anxiety. We have to wait for her bus for up to 20 minutes on a small strip of grass on a busy road. And I have to be very creative to keep her not only entertained, but out of the street. I wonder how many people we entertain each morning. One day last month, a white woman pulled over and ran over to us with a shopping bag. She said that she sees us every morning and is so moved by my obvious love and adoration for my daughter that she felt compelled to do something kind for us. And she noticed that I never have on a coat and I often stand in the rain. She didn't know if the things would fit, she said, but the receipt was in the bag. She smiled and drove away. As I looked down at the bag, I had very mixed emotions. I have a winter coat, but my worn out sweatshirt is comfortable and too bulky to fit under my coat. I stand in the rain because umbrellas cause anxiety for my little one. Does she do this because I'm black? Why did she feel I needed these items? Well, I put my daughter on the bus and went inside and then found the note in the bag. She said that she had wanted to stop now for weeks. She was a single mom who had struggled for years to raise her boys. She didn't know if I needed anything but was drawn to me and my daughter. And the note said to return the items and get what I wanted if I didn't want what was in the bag. At that moment, my eyes filled with tears. Amid these racially tense times and political unrest and horrible acts of violence that we see almost daily, she just needed to do something nice for someone. And seeing my daughter and me every day reminded her of the good that this world has. I think she needed that connection. Although I have what I need for the winter, I'm still a struggling mother of three myself. And so I took the items to the store and exchanged them for items that I'd been wanting. I sent out a blessing for her to the universe. And I held on to the notion that there are those of us who want to reach out to others, who believe there's goodness in the world, and who want to find it. And for that, I am grateful. Out of our gratitude for life and for the ministry of this congregation, we take an offering each week to support the values here and the work that we do. Please give generously.
One night as I lay on my pillow Moonlight as bright as the dawn I saw a man come a-walking He had a long chain on I heard his chains a-clanking They made a mournful sound Welded around his body Dragging along the ground He had a long chain on He had a long chain on He had a long chain on He stood beside my window so tired and hungry give me a bite of your bread he didn't look like a robber his voice was as soft as the moonlight he didn't look like a thief but a face full of sorrow and Fetched him a bowl of meat, a drink and a can of cold biscuits. That's what I gave him to eat. Oh, he was tired and hungry. A bright light came over his face. He bowed his head in the moonlight. He said a few. Our first reading today is by Frederick Beekner. He is a now 93-year-old American writer, theologian, and I presume a retired 
Presbyterian minister. I found many of his writings, especially on call and vocation, extremely meaningful. He's the one who has said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. But this is a different reading. <clears throat> this is what he wrote about grace. After centuries of handling and mishandling, most religious words have become so shop-worn, nobody's really interested much anymore. But not so with grace for some reason. Mysteriously, even derivatives like gracious and graceful still have some of the bloom left. Grace is something you can never get, but only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. A good sleep is grace, and so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving somebody is grace. Have you ever tried to love somebody? A crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. According to him, the grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is a world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid, I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. The words of God, according to Beekner. There's only one catch, he says. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. And maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. Our second reading this morning is quite different. And it is written by Sharon Welch, an American social ethicist and feminist theologian, former faculty member at Meadville Lombard, where I did my training. And I want to set the concept for this excerpt. It appears at the end of, uh, near the end of her book, The Feminist Ethic of Risk. And she's writing from a feminist and a womanist, which is women of color, liberation theology perspective. And she's talking about the imminence of the divine, how we embody divinity, and how we, how we address um, structural oppressions like racism and sexism. So that's kind of the context of these words. <clears throat> so she writes, the love that gives birth to hope and to work for justice is holy. We participate in divinity as we delight in the beauty of humankind. And as we rage against all that destroys the dignity and complexity of life, 
The ability to love and to work for justice is profoundly spiritual. Resilient connection with other people and the earth brings us joy, pain, and wisdom. And these resilient connections are the presence of grace. This is the grace that can move us from resignation and bitterness and despair to passionate love for others and determined action. This holy love for others is what I call grace. It's a power that lifts us to a larger self and a deeper joy. And it leads us to hold ourselves accountable for our own complicity in structures of oppression and to begin the long process of reparation and recreation. Grace brings joy, not shame, and the finding of the self in the larger community. It is not the opposite of works. It is the gift that comes from being loved and loving. And loved and loving are what enable work for justice. There but for the grace of God go I. Have those words ever crossed your lips or your mind? Maybe you've witnessed something or you've had a close call. They sprang to mind for me a few mornings ago. I had had a dream that's been niggling at me since, and uh, maybe I need that dream group help. But in this particular dream, I had returned to my home congregation in Lexington, Massachusetts, and I was going to be leading a service that morning. I'd been invited back to preach that now that I was a, quote, real, close quote, ordained minister. And on this particular morning, once I arrived at the church, I could not find my sermon or any of my papers. I figured I'd left them in the car, no big deal. So my dream consisted of frantically trying to find my car. But when I went out of the church, all the roads to and from had changed and they were different than I had known or recalled. And there were cars everywhere, confusions that in my bearings were all wrong. I could not find my car. And the pressure mounted. And the streak of perfectionism that I harbor, maybe you do too, reared up. The fear of disappointing people and myself set in. Oh my gosh, could I remember all my thoughts without the printed pages? Could I relay other people's words and thoughts with the right nuance? Goodness knows, I like to use other people's words a lot. And so I started to panic and then, in what I'm thinking of as a moment of grace, I woke up. <laughs> and the humiliation and the embarrassment and the defeat that I had imagined were averted. Now, I'll leave the interpretation of the dream to you, but the saying that sprang to mind for me when I woke up indeed was, there but for the grace of God go I. Well, the good news today is that I didn't forget my sermon. It's right here. See all these pages? <laughs> and the bad news is that I'm expecting some grace from you. 
So just to be clear up front, this is not going to be one of those sermons of the kind that I admire greatly. You know, the highly academic treatise, the one that starts with the full in-depth etymology of the word grace from the Latin gratus for pleasing, thankful, and related to graceful. And I'm not going to trace the history of the concept from ancient Roman times and Greek mythology. So I'm not going to give you all that linguistic and cultural and historical groundwork for the Christian concept of grace, which is defined as the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. Nope. And nor am I going to give you a thorough overview of different Unitarian Universalist theologies on grace. For all that information and all those insights, I can commend to you the excellent sermons and writings of several of my Unitarian Universalist colleagues, because I've been reading them all week long. But today, I'm going to approach grace by way of nature, by way of community, and by way of social justice. Because, as the saying goes, that's what floats my boat. <laughs> and I suspect we're in the same waters. <clears throat> now, for me, the topic of grace is a rather emotionally loaded one. The second to there but for the grace of God go I are my associations with the hymn Amazing Grace. You may know that the lyrics were written by John Newton, an 18th century Anglican clergyman who had a conversion experience when he called out to God for mercy during a violent storm at sea. He had been a slave trader on the waters. And later, <clears throat> he became a prominent abolitionist. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It is a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. And you can hear wonderfully talented singers give beautiful renditions. It's a song that many find extremely healing and soothing and comforting, even releasing and empowering in the message that says you are not alone. That saved a wretch like me. Wait a minute, I don't think so. That that Calvinist theology that we are born sinners that we are wretched souls who can only be saved by the grace of a God or a savior if you're Christian is utterly enervating and unacceptable to me personally. And in fact, this is what our universalist theology of universal salvation seeks to disavow. But nonetheless, these are the lyrics that I learned in my definitely not universalist Methodist upbringing. And today even, despite the changes in our hymnal, I notice that even when I know intellectually the context or history of a set of lyrics or a reading or concept, I am not always able to interpret or feel the words as they were originally intended. 
Rather, everything is filtered through the lens of my own experience. I feel and hear and sing and say the words as if they are my own lived experience, my own truth. So no wonder I have a visceral reaction when singing this hymn. Who wants to think of themselves as a wretch? I wonder if any of you react similarly. And so because of these experiences and associations, I'm more likely to reject than embrace the concept of grace at first. It's been something I've struggled with. And what a shame, I thought, to let a theological difference dissuade me from recognizing and even expecting grace. My colleague, the Reverend Sarah Richards, who serves the Carbondale Unitarian Fellowship in Illinois, throws me a bit of a lifeline and redirects my thoughts with these words, which she graciously allowed me to share from one of her sermons on being a people of grace. She writes, we Unitarian Universalists are proudly diverse in our theological perspective, so we differ on what we take as the sources of grace. But whether we understand grace to come from an ultimate force, the natural world, human beings, mystery, or a combination, our definitions of grace itself are similar. Unexpected, unearned moments, actions, and gifts that lift us up, save our mood, sometimes even our lives and our souls. Likewise, another UU minister, Jean Harrison Newbishar, keeps me focused on the qualities of grace rather than a source. She writes, grace is far richer and deeper than luck or a chance of fate. Grace suggests that there is a benevolence in the universe, a source of love and beauty, which in some measure is responsible for the elegance of the deer and the warmth of Aunt Sarah. It opens us to the sense of the divine in our lives. In her writing, she responds to Frederick Buechner's words that I shared earlier. Grace is something you can never get, but only be given. She writes, to pursue moments of exceptional beauty, clarity, or serenity would be fruitless but to be open to receiving the gift that is available to us is another matter. The colors of the sunset, the birds on the water, the tenderness in how our loved one's faces will be there, whether we notice or not. I, for one, appreciate the lifting up and casting of nature's gifts as moments of grace, glimpses of beauty that can keep us afloat when life's troubles weigh us down. This is something that I think is most poignantly conveyed in the words of Wendell Berry's famous reading, which I revisit often in these times of climate urgency. When despair for the world in me grows and I wake in the night at 
at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and where the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. I do that often. And I also experience that nature purely as an exercise in spiritual consumption can be problematic. Being solely on the receiving end with no reciprocity and no relationality implied, with no caretaking or stewardship, leaves me cold. That's because grace as a concept is fundamentally relational, bound up with gift giving and receiving and giving back. The creation spirituality theologian Matthew Fox calls himself an American priest. He would defrock from the Dominican order for his very liberal beliefs. He said that community is another source of grace. In community, we are meant to grace one another, to be sources of grace and healers by way of grace. And so my colleague, Sarah Richards, who I quoted earlier, <coughs> addressed this in, in a... Uh, message to her congregation early in her ministry with them. And she pointed out ways that she has observed this in their community, that grace is one of the effects of sharing stories. Now, how simple can, can that be? She explains that the stories that we hear every Sunday during joys and sorrows, or even during coffee hour, those are moments when the gift exchange, that is grace, is happening the congregation receives the gifts of trust from its members and gives the gift of acceptance and support by their listening presence. Real listening, perhaps because we don't expect to be really listened to anymore, is grace. Here in this community, I've noticed that we do that fairly well we often share this experience of grace. And that's in addition to the grace of the caring and kind gestures we make to one another and to the actions we take that are exemplified in today's readings and the charitable drives underway, the mittens and the coats and the toys. But there is more to community as another source of grace than just mutual caretaking within and beyond these walls, and good listening skills. Henry Nelson Wyman is a favorite theologian of mine. He's a process theory theologian and author of the, the Source of Human Good. It was one of my first pillars of humanist liberal religious tradition that I encountered. 
And he had this theory that there is a creative power or process he calls God, but you don't have to call it God, he says, which transforms us into beings uh, who are capable of doing good. He calls it creative interchange or creative good, and that this is what can lift us from despair when we fail to live up to our ideals, because we do invariably fail in real life and in our dreams. And he believed that this creative good is at work whenever individuals or institutions communicate in ways that foster new meaning. And that when we integrate these meanings, our sense of the richness of the world expands and our sense of community strengthens. We are better together kind of thing. And he calls this extra, this unexpected and unmerited expansion and richness and strengthening community, grace. Now this is the kind of grace I think we can experience in our own congregational life here. When we have sincere conversations and engage in cooperative discernment, and when we notice that conversations and the interactions rise above and take on qualities of something more than whatever is being discussed at hand. That kind of backs into what I glean from Sharon Welch's writing, that grace comes from joy and not shame and the finding of self in a larger community. That the gift of being loved and loving here and in other ways in our life is what enables us to work for justice. And it's what enables us to hold ourselves accountable even when that is uncomfortable for us, even if we are offended or resistant. Hold ourselves accountable for the parts we play knowingly or unknowingly in social injustices. And with grace, we can begin and stick with the justice-making process of repair, reparation, and restitution. And that fosters more grace. It behooves us also to remember that the struggle and disappointment for some is not new, and to hold that with grace. I'm wondering, what does it take to be a community that can create and give and receive this sort of new and liberating and resilient and healing version of amazing grace? What does it take to be a people who bring grace to others' lives, who remind others and ourselves <clears throat> that life is generous and not stingy, that life it's full of pleasant surprises, not just threats. What does it take to be a people where the thought that springs to mind is there by the grace of the world of nature go I? Or there by the grace of having been loved and loving the people of this community who listen and offer acceptance go I? 
or there by the grace of those who give freely and generously and without hesitation, and who remind me that continually striving for perfection does not leave room for grace, go I. As Frederick Buechner said, the gift of grace can be yours <clears throat> only if you'll reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. So let us be those people always receptive to grace, expecting to encounter profound moments of grace. May it be so.